seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute 25. Part man? Part machine. Or pod. pod. This minute begins with a shot of Murphy's wife and ends with one of the doctors saying, let's call it, what's the time? And we are joined by Rick Ingham of the Mad Max Minute and currently Waterworld Minute. Hello, Simon and Courtney. Thank you so much for having me on Witness Me Blood Bags. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> you know, when you say Simon and Courtney, my brain immediately went, Simon and Court Funkel, and I don't like it. Ah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure if I've talked about this podcast, but yeah, I think I talked about it in my other podcast, Kung Pao Into the Minute. I'm so used to not using my name, so when someone addresses me on a podcast, it's always weird. Yeah. <laughs> but no, welcome, Rick. Well, like I said, thank you so much for inviting me on. I don't know if your listeners are aware of the mythology of the RoboCop Minute, but... Yeah, so this is the time to share it, I guess, yeah. Yeah. I believe independently of your plans to start this podcast, I had my own plans to start a RoboCop Minute uh, based out of where I am here on the East Coast of the United States, and me and... Two other hosts from other Movies by Minute shows. We were going to team up in a bit of a threesome situation to cover this movie one minute at a time. And we had all the best intentions. And then, (laughs) you know, COVID hit. Scheduling became difficult. (laughs) The apocalypse happened. Right. World exploded several times. One of our co-hosts is a police officer, and everybody got really squirrely about the police last year, and so it just didn't seem like a good time in America to be talking about, hey, look how great the police are. (laughs) True, true. It just didn't feel right for someone with my voice to be saying that. So I was so happy and relieved and excited when I saw (laughs) you two coming out with your own version. And Courtney will attest, I sent her all of the materials that I had prepared for my own podcast. So it's great to see see Instagram shout outs every so often whenever you post (laughs) one of my little videos that I prepared. I did a lot of pre-production and it's so satisfying to see that it didn't go completely to waste so you're technically our producer <laughs> <laughs> our um our silence you, oh god so are you our ocp <laughs> kind of <laughs> i'm not saying i'm not i mean i'll never say you're that. our corporate overlord i mean i haven't sent you an invoice to th- at this point, so <laughs> maybe I'm not so much an OCP. Maybe I'm just that weird coke dealer that Clarence menaces later on in the movie. Yeah. The guy with the magnificent mustache. You've come in and you've dipped your fingers in my wine, and we all saw how that turned out. <laughs> now, yeah. you have covered all the Mad Max films, which, uh, you know, being Australian, those are very significant films to us. But I'm kind of on the fence because you yourself are not Australian. Correct. You have no connection to Australia. As an eagle-eared listeners will probably notice that I lack the signature accent of someone <laughs> from Australia. And I am admittedly very American. Mm. But so, so, I don't know, guys, is, is this cultural appropriation? Is this okay? <laughs> well, to be fair, we are an Australian podcast talking about an American movie, so it's only fair for an American podcast to talk about Australian films. It's cultural so. exchange, I understand, yes. It's cultural exchange. Exactly. <laughs> 
I know nothing about Detroit other than this movie and Detroit Become Human, and also that cars were made there at one point, but now no longer. I was going to say, now pictures of Detroit are what people confuse for pictures of the third world countries. Yes. <laughs> Rockingham or Detroit? All, all screen grabs from Robocop. Yeah. Look at this poor, pathetic city. It's so foreign. Uh, that's Detroit, buddy. Jeez, <laughs> oof. <laughs> I mean, even RoboCop didn't even want to film in Detroit because Detroit was so run down. They went to Houston. That is yes. true. They did like, did, like one shot in LA, and, but the rest was in like uh, Houston and Pittsburgh. The old steel mill was in uh, Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. One of those two. They're the same thing, aren't they? Oh, yeah. What, what are they? Once, once you go to Pennsylvania, it's all Amish people in steel mills. That's about it. <laughs> what a contrast. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to pivot, and I can't. Yeah, I don't know how we we get... Anyway, so we're doing Robocop, and uh, yeah, so this minute, very coveted minute, actually. Many people were just like, I want to cover the minute where Murphy dies or is resurrected. And I went, well, six people cannot be on the show at once, I am sorry, so we're going to have a lot of guests one after the other throughout this scene, so that people feel like they're kind of close to the action, but not quite in the the scene, because... Rick had to get it, you know. If you're going to do Mad Max, only feels right. I'm, I'm looking at my script in front of me. Don't look at the screen. <laughs> so if you were planning on doing Robocop, then it's only fitting that you get the most important minute. You should be around for the birth. You you did help uh, spawn this podcast, yes. even though we kind of came up with it independently. Where the afterbirth, where the placenta. <laughs> <laughs> I disgust myself. (laughs) Well, I will. Oh, God, I'm going to have to cut this. No, (laughs) No, don't. Don't keep it in, coward. I'll say the best way to make sure that a bad take stays in is you constantly refer to it all along the recording and it becomes too much of an effort to pull out so we're just gonna keep mentioning placentas yep worse than that i'm gonna make it the ding yeah oh no that's the title of our episode yeah i am jack's placenta (laughs) yes uh this is um the literal death of um, alex murphy and the shot juxtaposing the the loss of the family, the driving away, the kind of happiness, and like him losing his life. Then the defibrillator and the shotgun blasts. Cinematically, just wow, perfect, beautiful. Okay, and I've killed the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was. Uh, it's always weird when there's three people, but yeah, I feel like these two minutes between the original and the remake are so fascinating mm. to analyze together because. There's a real choreography and rhythm to how the editing is done in this original scene. And I think flashbacks mm. are a really difficult thing to do. Because a lot of the time I'm watching a movie and I just go, I know, I got it. I was there. I was freaking there. But no, this one is... It, it's it's a flashback to help enhance what's the emotion of the yeah, scene. It's almost like you can use flashbacks to enhance the story. Mm. Is that a sly dig at one division? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, we had the discussion earlier. Yeah, off air, we were, we were. I was bitching about it, but I think I've just come to the conclusion that I have weird tastes that don't run <laughs> with what MCU wants to give me. So, you know, yeah, I love it. I, 
I'm all for it. Sometimes a movie is effectively able to use small snippets of flashback to add extra depth to the character that was there under the surface, but you didn't necessarily see it when you saw the character earlier. And sometimes a big multinational corporation uses flashbacks to add characterization that was never there before that they completely neglected Mm. to put in there. It goes both ways. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, no, there's a third way, because if anyone has ever read Sherlock Holmes' A Study in Scarlet, one of my favorites, and the first Sherlock Holmes novel, it goes on this weird-ass tangent for about, I don't know, a third of the book, in which there is no Sherlock involved. It is a flashback to this, frankly, awesome Western story about these people who get rescued by this Mormon cult, and it's it's pretty awesome, but has absolutely nothing to do with the... I mean, yeah, it is re- related to the present story, but <laughs> you didn't need that much backstory. That's almost getting to Tolkien-esque, uh, you know, amounts of... I'm just going to write an entire novel of backstory, mm-hmm. <laughs> unreleased, unpublished, but still, you know... Why do I need to read all this? Oh, yeah, we're getting to the character again. Wait, no, there's a fourth way, because I, I also do the uh, Tron Legacy minute. And in that, there are flashbacks that make you wish you were watching that instead of the main plot, because that was way more interesting. <laughs> and I do like it when you can think about, say, a movie where you can edit in a point. Okay, so my, this example is, I want to do an edit of the Evil Dead trilogy, where you start off at Army of Darkness... And then you flash back to Evil Dead, and then you cut to Evil Dead Two <laughs> at the end of Evil Dead One, yeah. and then at the end of Evil Dead Two, when you when Ash does finally get back into the past, chronologically speaking, that's when you pivot back to Army of Darkness and the whole you know the pit scene and all that, and continue mm. on. It'd be like one gigantic movie, and it would actually make some sense continuity wise, as opposed to well the original trilogy, which doesn't make sense continuity wise half the time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Robocop. <Yeah. laughs> No, I, I do. I said uh, I do like the how the shots juxtapose what's going on with Murphy as well is um, yeah brilliant cinematography. In fact, uh, Ed Newmyer, the writer, actually says that uh, this is one of his favorite scenes because it is subjective and gets rid of like the narrative rules. Mm. Uh, this is in the audio commentary, by the way. So I wonder. So I, is it? I think it's Peter Weller in this entire scene. They're not using any sort of dummies or, or anything like that. I was trying to see. It is Peter Weller on the table. Um, they added some uh, prosthetics, you know, so they could do like the gore shots and stuff like mm. that. But that is Peter Weller. Yeah, I think when you have a close-up on his chest, it looks a little too soft for a real human chest. So I was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little too pillowy. Yes. Uh, you also see that yeah. in the first Iron yeah. Man movie where that's a, that's a fake torso, you can tell. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, actors get paid to do a lot of things, but open heart surgery is not usually yeah. one of them. <laughs> that's commi- uh, Tom Cruise would. I always looked at this scene <laughs> and I thought, man, Murphy looks a little doughy. It, like, shouldn't he be a little bit more cut? Mm. And then I realized most of that doughiness is most likely swelling from the trauma of being yeah. shot so many oh, yeah, times. Sure. So, of course, he would be a yeah, little yeah. more... You know, inflamed like pizza dough instead yeah. of a washboard. <laughs> well, that's it. How, uh, how much of that those projectiles went through the um, vest, and how much of them just got impacted? So, yeah. If anything, he should technically be more gory. You actually you know, it... raise an interesting point, and and not something we really explore in RoboCop, or at least in any direct way, but just the way in which the body can be 
damage and how the body recovers mm. from that. I mean, I guess we get more into that in Robocop 2, seeing Murphy taken apart, but yeah, the, the human body has all these wonderful, magical, and disgusting ways of recovering, you know, inflammation, <laughs> swelling, bloating, all the, it's, it's gross and, and grotesque, and yet it's also incredibly sophisticated. It happens for a reason, but we have this inherent disgust. Mm. But I mean, most of the time, Robocop is just impervious. He's, just, he's taken bullets. It doesn't do anything to him. But in the second film, we mm. see him taken apart, and there is a sense of violation. There is a sense that it is... There is risk and danger, and it's it's kind of upsetting to look at, but not in the same way. Well, we've grown an emotional connection to Robocop. By exactly. That. Even if you've only watched Robocop 2, by that stage, we've grown an emotional attachment to that character. So it's like even in this movie, we've got an attachment to Murphy. So when Murphy is violated, we feel something. And say in Robocop 2, when Robocop is pulled apart, we feel something, even though we, intellectually we can go, he's a machine. Oh, that actually ties into... I'm doing a sentient car essay I keep talking about. Yeah, so Mad Max, you know, you watch the Mad Max movie, you're like, yes, witness! And you're just seeing all these cars getting smashed up and you're mm. so into it. And then you watch Night Rider and you're just like, Kit! Kit was destroyed by Goliath and I'm so upset! And it's Well, people get genuinely pissed off that the uh, Interceptor got destroyed in Mad Max Fury Road. It's like, the Interceptor got blowed up in Mad Max 2 as well. I was well. about to say, it's upsetting when it happens in Road Warrior, but it's especially upsetting when it happens mm. in Fury Road, because at least in Road Warrior, we had a little bit of time with it. Mm. Yeah. And then in Fury Road, it's also stripped apart and mangled, but and it's just that one, like, it's almost barely recognizable at the end of Fury Road. And then when it when you kind of rock what it is, and you're just like, oh, fuck, that's the Interceptor. And then, yeah, it gets obliterated. Yeah. Mm. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it does get squished. So in that uh, sense, <laughs> the, the mechanical carnage doesn't have the same inherent repulsive nature mm. to a human being we have to kind of manipulate ourselves to feel that way which i think is quite fascinating i think it's also important to consider that in terms of robocop like we see murphy get shot down by clarence's gang but then we go on a very mm. personal journey with him like we are there yes. on the operating table right in Murphy's face, we see from his perspective, the audience is yeah. Murphy. And so we are in a sense also dying in an emergency room and being woken up as a robot. Yeah. And it's very intense. So that's why we're so attached to Murphy through mm. the rest of this film, because we've gone through everything that he's gone through. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about how they completely fucked that up in the, in the gaslighting. <laughs> section, but, um, we're not going to get there just yet. Yeah, well, my uh, last note was just, it must be so difficult to stay still in a scene like that. you just got to lie there with your eyes open, unblinking. Mm. I bet it's the, the blinking part's probably the hardest bit. you just got to get yeah. into a zen state. I don't know what else you do. Those shots of close-up on his face, I, they're not that long, so mm. hopefully mm. that's a bit of a relief so that they can shout action, and then Peter Weller's there with his eyes held open and then they say cut and he can blink again leave them closed for a few seconds i'm sure that's the wonderful thing about pre-digital films where it's not like you can just edit out the blinking which they do in some <laughs> movies there was yeah, some horror movie where they mm. edit out all the blinks and i can't remember what it was but yeah um yeah, i feel it, like there's a movie where one character never literally never blinks yeah oh it's uh scott pilgrim <laughs> 
there I was gonna say there is a, they do that in Sin City. There's a because there's a thing where you know one of the characters gets blood splattered on her face, and when people get blood splattered on their face, they close yeah. their eyes. But um, I can't remember if it was Frank Miller or Robert Rodriguez was so intent that they have to keep their eyes open. They basically shot a plate where they have to keep her <clears throat> her eyes open and the blank the plate where she gets blood, and they just digitally compose them together. Peak uh, creepy anime girl. Mm. Digging this there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't remember the character's name. It's been a long time since it was watched in City. But yeah, I don't remember Scott Pilgrim having a, a non-blinky character. It wouldn't surprise because Edgar Wright. Uh, another character, and I, I had to check this before I said it. Uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter in ah, Silence of the yes. Lambs never yes. blinks on screen. Yes. It, oh, it's, yeah. it's also one of those things as a, as a person, you've got to be conscious about keeping your eyes open especially for a long period of time because you know, your eyes just go no i need moist moisturize me moisturize me <laughs> uh i feel like this is why peter weller is just generally uh, a really chill guy every mm. interview i see he seems really chill and i think it's because he had to a lie here and not blink and then Film all the stuff in the RoboCop suit where you you're just being cooked in a little portable oven. <laughs> and also, it took him like ten hours to take that thing on, and like ten hours to take that thing off. You know, it was ridiculous. I think you'd kill your panic response at that point. You just, your body would just go, "Well, I guess I, I this is this is my reality <laughs> now, and I can't change anything." Yeah, I imagine anybody that has to work in heavy prosthetics probably has an infinite mm. amount of patience. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean Doug, Doug Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah. I mean the nicest <laughs> guy in the entire world, apparently. Yeah, I mean, especially now, like he's literally like the lead character in a, in Star Trek. Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. Yeah, I deliberately did that. Uh, uh, that's what I was hoping like, to save you from. He's, he was in. Yeah, uh, you, know, you know, he had the prosthetics. He had the heels on. He has this walk, and even like you know. Practicing that walk, I imagine, as an unnatural body movement. Yeah, Doug Jones is amazing, and he should be the captain. He was for a season. <laughs> We're not talking about that. I, I just I ran away screaming from disco. So yeah, that's the best response. <laughs> so, do we have any more notes for this minute? I have to wonder. Do you think that the doctors stopped operating on Murphy because he was legitimately dying, or do you think they stopped operating on him because he reached a point physically where they knew that OCP could recover enough to make their project and decided, you know ah. what, this is where we stop instead of we need to go until there's absolutely no hope? Oh, definitely. I do have some notes on that. Oh, yeah? So, in the... In the actual movie, the line is because okay, uh, if you're not noticed this, Rick, um, this was actually a real life um, crash cart team. They actually got some real doctors and uh, paramedics, nurses, and all that to. So all this dialogue is authentic. Well, at least you know they 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 basically ad lib their what they would normally say. And in the movie, they say, "quote All right, I think that's all we can do. Call it. What's the time?" Which is in Hollywood times, usually that's how you know someone's dead. They're calling it time of death. So the time, what's the time is that, you know, so they can write on the death certificate. Yeah. However, the script says exactly this. Uh, that's it. He's gone. Okay. Hook him up, patch him up and we'll, and I'll make the call. That to me uh. implies that these guys were you know, more 
Bob Morton had, you know, called the hospital and let them out. Say, hey, if a murder cop comes along, just uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's also in the book. But yeah, it's. Um, I think it's one of those things where if they had tried to get the doctors to say this, they probably wouldn't do it. But they just, you know, use the audio they would have said. But uh, yeah, I, so I, I am of the opinion that Murphy is dead. And there is some dialogue later on to actually confirm this. So as far as everyone's concerned, he is physically dead. Right. It's just that his brain still remains. I imagine yeah. that they wanted to portray the doctors and nurses as they will try to save him no matter what. And this is yeah. them legitimately observing, okay, his physical functions have ceased. We're going to stop. I think if it had been an OCP decision, as soon as he got off the uh, helicopter, they would have prepped him for surgery. <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that the... Um, OCP was involved through the previous minute because there was a person in a beige flight suit with an OCP cop logo on their shoulders. So OCP is definitely involved, even though it's a very, very background detail. But no, I think the doctors were just trying to legitimately save Murphy's life. But uh, there really isn't that much you can do with that much trauma. Yeah. yeah. They were able to save the arm. <laughs> Silver lining. Hmm. <laughs> That's next minute, though. <laughs> I could go down a very morbid rabbit hole about the history of uh, pain medications and experiments hmm. on that and how you could die from just sheer pain, but I won't, because that's some really heavy stuff. Oh. But it does uh, lead the question, though. How much of a quality of life would Murphy have had if he had survived, somehow survived this? Because... He has, a, let's face it, a massive hole in his brain. Oh, he'd be a vegetable. Yeah, like... He'd be lucky to not be in a coma. Yeah. I think the filmmakers made a deliberate attempt to say, no, this guy is dead, regardless of anything. Yeah, so they're not taking his life away. It really is a case of, well, this is a Frankenstein resurrection kind of thing. It doesn't have quite the moral quandary as uh, another movie we'll talk about soon. Uh, I do have some commentary notes as well, though. Paul even flat out says that uh, the shot of the family as uh, Murphy's driving away is about leaving everything behind. Mm. So it's very much a symbolic uh, shot. You know, it's deliberately conveying this message. And Ed Newmeyer points out that, I'll quote, this is the point he can no longer return to the state he was before. So if you go by a hero journey kind of the hero's tale uh, mentality, when even when the, the hero returns home, he or is a different person than from when he left. Mm. And this is flat out saying, Murphy can't come home. You yeah, know, this, and I feel there's like there's no home to come back to. In this minute, it really does. I mean, we haven't done too many crazy experimental shots so far, but I think this minute mm. just beautifully syncs up with. The, the editing and the camera movements and there's a lot of there's a sense of momentum which having reviewed yeah. a lot of Ridley Scott films they don't have those so whenever there's anything exciting like this in a film I, 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 I'm really into it I think <laughs> pointing out the momentum is especially important in the shot where Murphy is leaving his wife and child in the driveway because the pullout yeah. begins slow but then it speeds up as it mm. goes along, yeah. and by the end, you are whipping away from there, and you feel like, I don't want to say Murphy's spirit is being pulled out of his body, but it might as well be that. 
I think that's what uh, Verhoeven had in mind when they shot. I, actually, I don't think Verhoeven shot this specifically. I think this might have been a second AD shot. But yeah, like I think they even added some um, like some camera movements in post as well to kind of give it that little bit of a yeah, like a surrealist. You know, you're leaving the body feel to it. Uh, now we do have that uh, the theory I keep coming back to the uh, Chiasmus, the perfectly symmetrical film. And this oh, yeah. is one scene that does not have a, a match in the later half of the film. Because, oh, yeah. it, I mean, you, you have the encounter with Bodica, and that's repeated later on at the same location. And then the next symmetrical moment is Robocop is testing his ability at the shooting range, and then... In the last half, you'll see Robocop fixing that targeting system. There is no symmetry with the actual death and rebirth. But um, mm. we do have the reverse shot of this in the sense of Robocop returning home completely changed and the sit even the house is completely changed and it's completely absent, which is That's symbolically, true. you know. So I guess even though maybe the placement's not right, it's kind of the mirror image you know? yeah at, at least there is some duality somewhere in the story right it's kind of weird to think about it when you go like you know did Robocop need to return home for it to work and I think yeah like it's just one of those scenes where him returning to this house and reliving those memories is so impactful that yeah cutting that out would have actually damaged this film mm. and not to bring WandaVision into this again but I would have loved something like this where it's just hints I think there's little hints mm. I th when Robocop returns to his home it's so sad and so powerful mm. because it's just that little hint of it and also I like that the uh I know we're going to talk about this in oh, almost a year from now probably but um, <laughs> like even like the OCP has taken away his home and like added the well the corporate body has taken away his home and added that little guy in the monitor and stuff like that so mm. it's a little bit of that uh, little again that dig at capitalism and corporations and stuff like that so yeah love it um so gaslighting Robocop I guess Alex how do you feel I feel fine Dr. Norton <laughs> <laughs> Me. This minute begins with the most miserable makeout scene ever and ends with Norton saying, <laughs> if he survives. My my only note is, worse assassins ever. Oh, yes, God. pretty bullshit. <laughs> so, I will admit it, I will freely admit that I have not seen any of the 2014 remake beyond the three minutes that you sent me. Yeah. Oh, don't. That, that's don't interesting, okay. That's it. So, yeah. as far as I am concerned... This movie, the 2014 remake, is not about Alex Murphy, but it is all about Clara Murphy and ah. her loss and her journey around her husband being exploded in the driveway. Which could have been great, actually. Yeah, I was actually going to bring this up next minute, but you've got a very good point there. If you just isolate certain scenes in this movie, it could be really good. And then, unfortunately, you've got every scene with Alex Murphy. <laughs> Hmm. I don't even think it's a real explosion. I was pretty sure that's a CGI explosion. Oh, that was the fakest explosion ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, why why rig the explosion to be when the door opens? Yeah. What? Like, what if Alex had just leaned out the top window there and just turned the alarm off and that was it? Like, 
Or, you know, his wife decides to move the car for him. Oh my gosh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, what see, if that would have been lands great. On it? You take your RoboCop story <laughs> and say, okay, we've got a cop. His name is Alex Murphy, but whoa, his wife is the one that's killed and she gets turned into the RoboCop. Yes. Yes. That would have been amazing. That would have made a better movie. <laughs> This is like I the third think time we've come up I, with an alternate uh, oh yeah. candidate for the Robocop, uh, Robocop uh, program that isn't Are you having a stroke? Movie. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking, so far we've had the little we've had the little boy with a knife as Robocop. We've yep. had um, Lewis as Robocop. Yeah. Because uh, the Lewis in this movie gets shot and you know barely comes back. Mm. So yeah, not, a, not Lewis is not even a character in this film. So yeah, we've had three characters now that it would have been a better Robocop than. Rick Flag. I think the world is ready for a black lady RoboCop. I I don't care if people say it's you know pandering to the SJWs. I think, fuck, just give me something new. Give me something original. <laughs> I think we should go the extreme with that and make RoboCop hot pink as well. Hot pink, also a lesbian, and rides yep. a cool motorcycle. <laughs> and I'm just into this image. I <laughs> mean. What's Janelle Monet doing? I don't know if you already discussed this, but I'm kind of glad that they didn't have Jack Lewis turned into RoboCop because it would have made that one scene where they're deciding on the color scheme. And I think it's Michael <laughs> Keaton says, can we make it black? And then everybody there would be like, um, I guess like, Ooh, big is it already? And it would have been super awkward for everybody involved. <laughs> In the previous one of the previous minutes, they've got these list of candidates about who should be Robocop, and one of them was an African American, and for no real reason, they're just like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my theory, uh, uh, I think that episode's out now, uh, my theory was that uh, Michael Keaton just doesn't like the blacks or the fatties, so... <laughs> I'm guessing it's not meant that way, but wow, does it come off when you read it one minute at a time. <laughs> and we've got to find some fun in this god-awful film. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I am so disappointed in the Alex Murphy of the 2014 remake. Like, yeah. what kind of man... Would what leave, kind of man? What kind of man would leave his marital bedroom to turn off a car alarm for the sake of a child waking up in the middle of the night? Like, yeah. like honestly, it's those alarms. They turn off eventually. They don't just go ad yeah. infinitum. Yeah, he he didn't really want to be there. He just took any excuse. The alarm went off. And he went, oh, thank God. So disappointed in him. Oh, God. The, the blandest family on the block. More like Robococ, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Just, I must admit, watching this again, I, I remember when I first watched this movie, I was going, that's how he died? What? Yep. It's like, oh, God. You get this lovely build-up and all this emotion and all the... You get to love this character of Alex Murphy and then you get to the remake and not only do you not give a shit about Alex mm. Murphy, he dies in the most punk-ass bitch way possible. <laughs> and he doesn't even die! And they do it 
in such an obnoxious way. It's like, all right, we're going to kill him and we're going to do a v- extreme long shot. Like you see the car explode. The, the explosion is the important part. And then we just leave rope. We leave Alex lying yeah. on the ground in a burned heap. And like Clara comes out and she's like, oh, no. I hope he's alive. I better call 911. It's like, we, there is no emotion, no connection to Alex Murphy. He is so far away. She doesn't scream or anything. Like, there's nothing. So doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? He's so far away. <laughs> it's a good thing those bushes were there so he could land on it. Seriously. And then, like, we cut to black and we cut in. With Dr. Norton, like, explaining how bad it was, it's like, oh, gee, maybe I would have liked to have been there with Alex Murphy as he was going through that thing. Mm. Like, I don't know, the 1987 original did? (laughs) Yeah, although going with your initial interpretation of it being Clara's story, if they had just committed to that, then suddenly all of this makes sense, where you're watching it from a distance, because it's not about Alex Murphy, it's about Clara, so... Yeah, that could have worked. Yeah, we could we could have the rehabilitation of um, Alex Murphy as Robocop in the uh, well. We're talking about the the, the funny sitcom version of our of uh, oh Murphy, <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> and you could do that in a dramatic way, you know, Robocop learning how to use his body to sit on a chair without destroying it, but instead of comedic, it could be high drama, and we cut to Clara just like you know crying over the fact that her husband is. An emotionless puppet as opposed to just emotionless. (laughs) (laughs) She's sitting in the kitchen. We're going to improve this somehow. She's sitting there feeding him baby food with a little spoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, playing with his son in the yard, throwing the ball way too far. and uh, Gets a bit of a a meteoric comet uh, tail on the back of it. It's moving so fast. (laughs) Oh. Um, so the funny thing is this, um, I was actually, because as I said, worst assassins ever, I'm just thinking about how other movies do the car bomb scene, and how they do it so much more effectively, and there is a movie where, it's not a great film, it's Ben Affleck, so of course it's not a great film, um, The Sum of All Fears, it's one of the Jack Ryan films, Mm. and they actually do a twist on the car bomb thing, is that one of the, I think it's like one of the conspirators at the end who's trying to overthrow the government. He gets someone to go out to the car to test it for bombs, you know, and turn the engine on. And once that's all done, the car hasn't exploded. The guy gets into the car, puts a cigarette lighter on, and as soon as it pops out, the car explodes. It's like, that's how you do it. You want to have your guy in the car when it explodes so he dies. Mm -hmm. Not when you open a door. Now, I'm sure saying something like this is going to put me on a CIA watch list, but if you're going to explode somebody, you want them in a contained area because the shockwave from the explosion, if it's dissipating out into the air, congratulations, like 359 degrees of force are just going off into nowhere. If the explosion is inside the car, it's bouncing and reverberating around. You are pulverizing Mm. that person in the car like Mm. make it so that when he plugs in his phone into the charger when he's driving (laughs) make that be the trigger come on i think the car explosion in the dark night 
it's this, I think she's like a senator, this woman gets into a car, and yeah, just the way it's filmed and, and all of it, it's just mm. so brutal and so sudden and you are not expecting it. Well, even in this film, they plant the car bomb at the hospital where uh, Murphy is visiting Lewis, and they deliberately do a thing where they go, they had a line left, we've disabled security cameras, yeah, plant the bomb. Why not just do that at Murphy's house? Why don't just walk up to the guy and Why? shoot him directly in the face? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Quick. Clarence Boddicker, that shit. I need yeah. a quick clarification here. Who blows up Murphy in this remake? Oh, oh some There's corrupt cops and there's some and gangsters then, working yeah. with corrupt cops, but we don't know any names because they're useless characters that are thrown away and not referred to ever again. Oh, yeah. well, that's, that's additionally... <laughs> disappointing bullshit terrible yeah. <laughs> uh, why is this remake so terrible even though i've never seen it before like it's hurting me uh, having never exactly. seen it yeah yeah it hurts it really does oh God. think about it this way rick you could either have done it this way you could have do out here punishing ourselves and review these two movies together inside by side. This side. is our hair. What, what's, what's that like? The the the, the penance. The penance. Yeah. The, what is our, <laughs> our hair shirt thing? Yeah. Oh my gosh! I was standing in my kitchen earlier today after watching these three minutes and seeing Abby Cornish's, <laughs> you know, acting in this, and I'm like, maybe I should sit down and watch the remake, and I decided <laughs> against it. Because no. I've I've been a purist for the last mm-hmm. six, yeah. seven years that it's been out. Yeah. And I'm so glad now that I did not succumb yeah. to its siren call. Yeah. No, because I, I there's there's one or two scenes that are really, really good. There's the... I, I've actually watched this clip more than once because I just think it's so well done. Is where Murphy requests all the mechanical parts to be taken off of him so he can see what's left. And oh my oh. god, it's a goosebump inducing scene. It's traumatic. But it might it might be one of those scenes you should watch in isolation. Mm, definitely. Because it needs a good scene except for that fucking hand. Except for <clears> the <throat> hand, yeah. No. The the fleshy hand in Robocop's suit is a real hand. It's for not a robot pleasure. hand. Yep. Um Why? my my one final thought was if it, I don't think we should call our sitcom O Murphy. I think you know there's Small Wonder, right? Which is the the little girl who's a robot. Yep. So like, what do we call? Is, is it Big Wonder? Is it Moderate Wonder? I don't. Know. <laughs> I know what it is. It's Wonder Toast. Yes, Wonder Toast. No, that's Wonder Bread. Is the damn it. Wonder Bread I thought you were making uh, a milk twist or a WandaVision reference there. I was like, there's a, pun, there's a pun in there somewhere, but I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pretend I do. Previous guest, Niall, I just referred to, uh, you know, um, Rick Flagg, uh, what's his face? Um, Joel Kinnaman? The guy who plays... Uh, Joel, Joel Kinnaman. Kinnaman. Yeah, it's okay. just like, you know, he gets a script and it's just a piece of toast. <laughs> yes. like, yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> so, yeah, like... Toast is like the perfect brain description for, you know, yeah, just white bread. So small wonder and bread wonder. Yep. Yeah. There we go. It's <laughs> just, wow. Yeah. I think we've uh, milked this minutes of this remake for as much as it's worth. So hmm. thanks for joining us, Rick. And it's a pleasure to finally meet you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's exciting to finally get my hands on this. On oh, the Robocops. Yeah, it's been great. And there's going to be more. Two more minutes. Well, I hope you stick around as long as well as the audience. So please tell our lovely viewers where what, what you do, where we can find you. 
Certainly. I am notoriously known for doing the Mad Max Minute. Since 2017, my co-host Julia and I have gone through the Mad Max movies one minute at Mm. a time, starting with the 1979 original and going all the way through the 2015 masterpiece that is Mad Max Fury Mm. Road. And since we've run out of Mad Max movies and we know that there are more on the horizon, we have most recently been doing... 1995's Waterworld, H2O <laughs> minutes at a time, because as fun of a movie as it is, it does not deserve the single minute by minute treatment. But all of that can be found at madmaxminute.com. You can find us on all of the podcast services as well as Instagram and Twitter at madmaxminute. As someone who's uh, added a pun in the title of our podcast, I truly appreciate the H2O. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we coincidentally released those episodes weekly on Tuesday because of the seven days of the week, Tuesday is the one that most sounds like two, so it just seemed thematically appropriate. (laughs) Courtney, you want to go next? Well, you know where to find me, Trifing Designs, that's where you get all my all my stuff, all the pods, well most of the pods. You can also go over to patreon.com slash Trifing Designs, and that's where you get Tron Legacy and Blade Runner 2049. Otherwise, you can find me reviewing Alien Covenant. And I guess you can find me on Fandom Crossing on the YouTubes and all the other things I do. Kung Pao, Enter the Minutes, though, you know, yeah. Like, share, subscribe, all that. And find us on uh, YouTube as well. Simplecast, Apple, Google, Spotify. Please rate, review, share, enjoy all the other stuff. And until next time... Robocock. (laughs) <laughs> Robocock block. <laughs>